Before we get started, I want to remind you of something you probably already know, but something that really is a big help for us. If you go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv, you can find out how you can support these shows. It's a place where you can give a certain amount of money per month to support Radio Free Midworld and other Duckfeed TV shows like Watch Out for Fireballs or Abject Suffering or Days of Future Cast, any of those. Uh, once again, that is patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Sounds like we're making it up when we say it makes a difference, but it really, truly does. Cool. Thanks. Let's talk about this book. Welcome to Radio Free Midworld, a podcast about the Dark Tower series of books and its related works. My name is Cole Ross, and today I'm joined by Autumn Greer. Hi, Autumn. Hi, I'm I'm even more delighted than usual because it's it's just the two of us. I know, right? We get to we we, we get to just go back and forth as opposed to having the roundtable kind of thing, which is nice too. It, if you hear a rustling noise, it's because I'm making us a friendship bracelet right now. Oh, nice! I, I, I made us <laughs> I made us a god's eye, but that's because I was sick the day at camp. We we learned how to make friendship bracelets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this week we are talking about the Stephen King book Desperation, uh, which was written in 1996 or uh, released in 1996 rather um, before Wizard and Glass, and also kind of alongside a companion book slash alternate universe book called The Regulators by Richard Bachman, which we're going to get to later. This was an interesting book. My, my background on this book, I read it when it came out in 1996 because I was a big sucker for anything Stephen King was doing. You know, he had released those um, little individual Green Mile books as part of a series. And I, w I was ready. Wow. You know, he's doing such an innovative thing. He's releasing Desperation of the Regulators as kind of a set. The covers are going to match up and everything like that. But when when I read Desperation at the time in 1996, I, I did not love it. I, I was I was pretty meh on on the book when I read it then. But coming back and reading it now, you know, at the time I hadn't read any Dark Tower books. Coming back and reading it now, I kind of have a whole different take on it. Yeah, it's it's definitely a really strange book because it it, it covers a lot of the same notes that Stephen King has covered in a lot of his other a lot of his other works. You know, like here we have a town with a terrible secret. We have a force from beyond that is trying to corrupt people. We have us. We have we have a a, a, a preteen child with a direct line to God. Um, <laughs> we have a writer with an addiction problem. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like all this stuff makes it seem like it should be, you know, real boilerplate, bog standard Stephen King. In a lot of ways, it is. I think what it does, though, is it achieves something like structurally. Like, this is an incredibly focused book for Stephen King. It, it it really is. You know, I was trying to think in my head how I would describe it, top line. And it's a book that I enjoyed very, very much, but I don't know that I would recommend to anybody else necessarily. <laughs> I can think of a lot of books I would put ahead of it in the Stephen King, uh, uh, I guess, body of works. But mm -hmm. I, I loved this book. But at the same time, I was like, this is not his best. No, <laughs> you know? no. This is real, um, I think, yeoman's work, <laughs> I, I think. It's, uh, I mean, it's Stephen King in the, in the mid-90s, right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it, it is scary, which, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what you're looking for. I mean, it's a, it's a horror novel and uh, mission accomplished. Yeah. 
you know, for as much as the characters kind of fall flat, the scenarios in this are terrifying. I think this has one of the strongest openings in one of Stephen King's books that I've that I've read. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. That's my very first note because they set you off in the the first few pages. I mean, you start off, you've already got a dead cat nailed to a sign. There's they mentioned Satanists, and there's literally no one around. I mean, mm-hmm. like, they just turned the creep like creepy up to eleven and ripped the knob off. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're on the loneliest highway, and you are pulled over by a monster cop. What do you do? Yeah, I that, that's one thing that we'll notice all throughout the book is, you know, I, I'm kind of a, a, a doobie, I guess. I mean, I'm like, oh, no, an authority figure. I have to do exactly what they say. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think I would be one of those people at McDonald's that like the phone call comes in and they talk you into taking your clothes off or anything. But it, it's pretty much close to that level of how compliant I am with with police officers and everything like that. I'm like, whatever. Okay, man, just be cool. Yeah. <laughs> like I grew up in a law enforcement family and I'm still just terrified. Like, you know, I, I got pulled over for a speeding ticket the last year and uh, it was the scariest thing that happened that year. I had nothing to be afraid of. I was going fast. Yeah. I admitted to it. I had my hands, you know, up on the wheel, all of that, but like still it just ugh, chill up my spine. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and, um, not not even terrifying like it is to be um for 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 these poor people in Nevada. Oh my gosh, yeah. So this story takes place around a small Nevada mining town called Desperation where some evil forces kind of rampaged around and killed all of the inhabitants. Um did you notice any similarity similarities to it in this? I think I think absolutely. I mean, you're you're talking about kind of an unseen force that's manipulating town. It's corrupted an entire town. It's I mean, it it was using adults to to manipulate people for for its own ends. And in this, um, I guess the the child is the one character that isn't able to be manipulated by it. But absolutely. It's um, a menacing unseen force with an evil will that's. Mm -hmm. Who it is messing this mining town up. <laughs> By which we mean erasing it from the map. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I should also note, just while we're talking about the, bio- the biographics here, um, did you watch the made-for-TV movie version of this? It was very important to me to show up prepared. So actually, night before last, I went ahead and watched the, the movie, which beat for beat was almost verbatim the the book yes i mean there were some small changes but yeah i mean so stuff to make it stuff to make it more filmable i I didn't so much care for it um it just it it just you know suffered from being a tv movie i think i I ended up liking the cast an awful lot so like ron perlman so they got ron perlman to play the to play monster cop to play collie and trajan um and that was an inspired choice perfect casting (laughs) just because like a his his grill's kind of fucked up anyway, um, <laughs> but B and, and not, not just he has a unique a, a unique countenance. Let's say right, as he is a big yeah. guy, and he does really good when he hams it up. Right. <laughs> Speaking of hamming up, and uh, of course we're not to this in our discussion of the book, but there's a scene in the movie where um, David's young friend uh, is thrown up against that that wall. Holy moly, that kid splats in the movie. I lost my shit when that happened. That was so funny. 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, it was literally like a mannequin with a, a water balloon full of red paint for a head when he hit that wall. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he he hits the wall. He's obviously launched from some kind of trebuchet, and uh, <laughs> instead of like leaving like a like a trail of blood or whatever, there appears to be some kind of like big red mass that is left behind where his face hit. <laughs> I'm like, my little man's not walking away from this. Yeah. 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 Very believable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you can rent that on, um, on, I, I guess I rented it on iTunes. It was like three bucks. I didn't finish it. Um, but, um, I did watch the, the, the opening third, which I think is the strongest part of this. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so why are we talking about this on a dark tower show? There are so many Stephen King books. Um, how does this one rate? So kind of the main antagonist of this is a, is a demon called tack. Um, like we said, he's, you know, he sleeps deep beneath the earth. He's a, he's awakened when the gate to his world is dug up. Uh, and he's kind of similar to like Pennywise or Rose matter or any other of these kind of like Chodash creatures from the spaces beyond or between. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and to kind of underline that connection, he, uh, uses the language of the unformed, the language of the dead, these kind of, uh, guttural, um, monosyllabic, uh, kind of just barks. So kandalak, mihimento, you know, just uh, rat- rattling that stuff off. And that's used, um, a lot later in, uh, in the book. It's kind of the, the, the unified, uh, language of the, uh, the lower forces, it's it it's interesting and it, it it's effective seeing seeing the language throughout and everything and uh, there's some terms and things sarks numa that I it's been a minute since I've read books six and seven of mm-hmm. the the dark tower series but I feel like those are those are used frequently yeah that stuff is uh is is rolled out kind of a ra- at a rapid fire clip same thing with uh Kanta and Cantoy mm-hmm. um. Those are used differently here. So the Kanta and this are these kind of powerful statues that can influence or hijack a person's mind just by having them look at it or by having them hold it or touch it. Um, This features later in the series. And I should probably say putting this book here is a bit of a whoopsie because it doesn't really relate to Wizard and Glass or directly to uh, the Wind Through the Keyhole. I just needed something to put in this place and I wanted to talk about this book. Um, but uh, remember the uh, the the, the Kanta. Basically, just just like any Funko Pop figurine, right? <laughs> right. Did you see that? Uh, I mean, this will this will date the recording. Did you see that contract that was drawn up? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, otherwise, like that would have just been a, a, fun, a fun joke about Funko Pops. But in the light of that contract, it's I'm I get to chill up my spine. <laughs> That's you know, the second I, I, time I've chill up my spine. I, I would consider making Jeremy sign some kind of contract, but all the Dark Souls stuff that he gets is dope. So what can I do? Like, <laughs> contract, buy more. Yeah, contract. <laughs> this is sweet. Sign of both parties agree. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm ready for him to get one of those like sweet $500 three and a half foot statues. I'm like, buy it. He's like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> I want those bookends. You got a passion. <laughs> they, 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 they put out that massive collector's edition or they announced that massive collector's edition. Uh, in Japan, that has these sweet Dark Souls bookends in it, and I collect bookends. Normally, I like to get them from uh, from from thrift stores, but um, it's real tempting, despite the fact that the whole box is like five hundred bucks. 
you know, when about about probably 20 people right now are writing this down just in case they get you for Secret Santa next year, right? <laughs> yeah, I, hit, hit me up. I love bookends. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other term um, kind of in this low language that we need to know is uh, can-toy. That is a uh, uh, C-A-N dash T-O-I, not toy like, but you know, Funko Bob. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> in this book, that's kind of the reference. It's the catch-all name for all of these low animals that do tax bidding. Um, they're expanded and kind of become these sentient beings uh, with animal heads in the in the series proper. Um, and all, they also intersect with the uh, low men and yellow coats which become a major, major figure post 2000 in the series. Um, but uh, here, you know, just understand like he is playing around with these terms, introducing them and kind of refining what they mean. I, I love picturing in my head, anyone that hasn't finished the series right now that might be listening. Cause I mean, we, we just finished up with the Emerald city and <laughs> <laughs> magic red shoes. Yeah. And, you know, now we, now we're kind of, kind of, letting people know that there's going to be low men in yellow coats mm -hmm. and animal headed humanoids that serve the crimson king yeah no <laughs> you know, we, like we, so what now we are on a road to some strange country in this series <laughs> <laughs> um so we just have a couple more couple more connections here uh we have cynthia smith is back she was kind of a, a minor character in rose matter she was the 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 girl with the punk hair uh who was at uh, daughters and sisters uh, the place where, oh my gosh, what's the main character's name? Shit, it's not Rose. <laughs> Rose is different. Fuck. The, 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 the shelter where the main character goes. I, I really should have looked that up. Oh, uh, um, sisters, um, daughters, daughters and sisters? No. Yeah, da daughters and sisters. I, I, I just, I forget the, the, the name of the main character, the wife oh. in, uh, in Rose Matter. Oh, Rose Daniels. Okay, yes. Um, there we go. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's another. So Cynthia is on loan from that story about a crazy cop and into this story about a crazy cop. So she cannot catch a break. <laughs> oh, man, I hadn't actually made that connection. I, I knew that she had had some obviously rough times, but I, for some reason, I had forgotten about Norman being a cop. Yeah, mm -hmm. man, she's having a bad little run here. Yeah. Yeah. I think she should. Uh, um, I was about to say what what country has no cops, but all I could think of was Somalia. So, oh, which is not, not, not good. Um, yeah, I was just trying to think where, where, where could she go? But no, law enforcement is inescapable. Um, <laughs> uh, this story takes place near the Desatoya Mountains, uh, which are the earth version of the mountains where the little sisters of Illyria takes place. A little bit of a, a little, little bit of a, a, a fun fact there. Um, and also, and I want to kind of test, test to see if I'm way off base here. This book, so Desperation's relationship with the regulators, right? You know, two books came out uh, around the same time, feature characters of the same name, but they're shifted around. It's a different story, um, and it was written by Richard Bachman as opposed to Stephen King. Knowing where the metatextual stuff is going to go later on, this seems like Richard Bachman is a different... <laughs> okay, I, I understand. This makes me sound crazy because I understand the difference between fiction and real life. But, like, this is setting up this kind of thing where Richard Bachman is a writer on a different level of the tower, discovering and telling the same story that Stephen King is on ours. I 
I think that's a pretty fair assessment. That's one thing that I, a lot of stuff that I highlighted throughout the book, it, it seems to hit a lot of beats. I mean, you see, I mean, they even mentioned the Tommyknockers at one point, but you mm-hmm. see somebody being so focused on something that they fall into de- decrepitude and their body just gets distra- I mean, there, it just hits a lot of beats and touches from all of his books, which mm-hmm. I think kind of ties in with some, some of the stuff that we'll see in the later books as well yeah. um, about the whole Stephen King universe. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that out there because it, it, it's a strange little marketing play that he did to sell two books about the same characters at the same time. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So any other notes or comments about these tower connections, maybe things I didn't see? No, no. I, like I said, I've got some, some little notes uh, throughout of, of certain turns of phrase and things like that. But, but no, I think we should get into it. Yeah, let's do it by jumping in with part one. It takes place on Highway 50 in the House of the Wolf and the House of the Scorpion. Um, or as I have it written in the notes here, Scorion. Um, so, um, the opening of this, like I said, is incredibly effective because it's like a regular everyday occurrence that would make you, know, make you nervous, right? Traffic stop, nobody likes this, right? We have Mary yeah. and Peter Jackson, you know, married couple. East Coast kind of academics driving through Nevada, you know, just noticing this cat nailed up on a side and talking about like, oh, people live here because they're intense, right? <laughs> I have I haven't spent a lot of time in Nevada, but um, is anyone really that intense? I I don't know. I mean, <laughs> dead cat intense? Like, I mean, in Louisiana, we had a lot of shot up stop signs and like graffiti on stop signs, but no. No cats, knock on wood. I mean, uh, maybe they're on, they're on the other side. There, there's a little bit of that uh, kind of southern gentleman kind of thing where they don't put the cats <laughs> on the front of the sign. They put it on the back. You know, they're still there. <laughs> you just can't see them. <laughs> but, but everything's kind of weird about this traffic stop start to finish. The, uh, the guy doesn't pull them over in the normal way. He kind of speeds up, passes them, stops, pulls over to the side of the road, and then finally stops them. I mean, it, it just right away you can tell there's something weird happening yeah it's like you see he even with his car is like trying to intimidate them like in the in the tv movie he straight but he straight up does a brake check on them yeah yeah and you know they play they pull him over and they're you know it's like okay what's what's going on we were probably speeding they've got a quota he gets out and he's this massive massive policeman like they think like six yeah. foot seven you know over 300 pounds just like this wall of a man um, who comes up and just kind of starts giving them, giving them shit. Yeah. <laughs> like real low grade at first. Like, he, you know, Peter pulls out his, uh, his, his, his driver's license, hands it over. And he's like, oh, you're an organ donor. Do you think that's wise? <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is just an odd question for anyone to like, especially a police officer to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, do, do, do you want to do, do you want to debate the ethics of this right here? Okay, um, yeah. But the reason that this massive police officer pulled them over is they're missing they're missing their license plate. Like somebody back in a town they stopped in, there's a bunch of kids just kind of took it off and hung it up in their club their clubhouse. Yeah, there's a there's a really lovely line that he with Stephen King wrote about the the cop like pulling the screw off from what was left, you know, was left over from their, their license plate. And he kind of tosses it over to the side in the desert. And I think I, I wrote it down where it would lie on just 
excuse me, where it would lie undisturbed for a million years unless it caught some inquisitive bird's eye. Like I could just picture Roland stepping on this. <laughs> like, man, first I lost my fingers with the lobstrosities. Now I stepped on this stupid ass screw. Come on. Yep. I'm going to get tetanus now or it's mid world. So I'm going to get hyper tetanus now. I'm sure they'd have some fancy Gilead name for it, like like old man split jaw or something like that. Yeah. But. Yeah. Oh, it, it, uh, <laughs> I, I, I would get uh, Rudy, Rudy Tootie jaw. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, but yes, uh, if Roland didn't step on that, he would definitely stop and line it up. So it would perfectly go with the path of the beam. Um, <laughs> so they're, they're, they're digging around for a toolkit. And the reason that this couple is driving this car, they're, you know, trying to get Peter, it's Peter's sister who moved across country and like, Hey, we'll drive your car across country for you. Which seems like a real big solid, you know, but yeah. turns out the sister is a burnout. And what do they find in the spare tire? But boy, oh boy, uh, just a comically large bag of marijuana. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, it has a smiley face sticker on it, which kind of puts me in the mind of, I mean, doesn't Randall Flagg's jean jacket have a, a smiley face pin? Oh, yeah. That's how he signs all of his um, notes, too. And, R, um, and smiley face. Yeah. And then it, it came up in Mr. Mercedes, too, right? Don't they have like a little riff on a, a smiley face in that book? I have, not, I have neither read nor watched Mr. 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 Mercedes. I like the formal way you said that. Like, how dare you mention that on this podcast? It is out of universe, <laughs> yep. Mrs. Greer. <laughs> no. I, I hope I didn't sound offended. No. Oh, I've... no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this this flips a switch. Uh, and he starts berating them. And we get that oh-so-lovely Stephen King trope of we know this person is a villain because he immediately becomes the most bigoted uh, character imaginable. Um, yeah. saying anti-Semitic, homophobic stuff. It's real, uh, it's real rough. Yeah, like a really rough version of um, coastal liberal elites, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, he loads them into the car, and when he's Mirandizing them, he's like, oh, you have the right to remain silent. You know, you can, make an, you can have an attorney. Anything that you say can be held against you. I'm going to kill you if, if you don't, if you can't, w wait a minute, what? Oh, he slips. I'm going to kill you into the Miranda. <laughs> yeah, what? Like, like you do. Oh, no. There's, there's one. There's one line in there um, when the wife is thinking to her, or I think she says out loud to her husband that um, half of his sister's brain cells are fried, and the other half are on permanent vacation in the Emerald City. Oh yeah, huh. which is a nice little tie-in. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't notice that parallel. I was, he must have been working on these at about roughly the same time, right? I, I guess that is possible. He probably was. I, I can't remember what year Wizarding Glass came out. 97, so one year later than this. Okay. Yeah. Man. <laughs> he was on he was on his game. Yeah. He 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 had Oz on the mind. Um <laughs> as he drags these poor, poor, you know, seemingly nice people into town past this deserted RV with four flat tires and the door flapping open. It's uh it's it's no good. And and this is kind of everyone's worst fear, too. Like, I, I rent a lot of cars for work, and I've always been nervous that, like, you know, you get pulled over in a car that isn't yours, and I don't know, they bring the drug, drug dogs out, and it turns out somebody left 
drugs in a side panel or something like that, then you're like, it's just a rental. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, oh, I, I definitely didn't take that in the wheel well. What's weird? I didn't even look there. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just like even being at the whim of somebody in, somebody in authority. Um, and I, I really sympathize with Peter's reaction here, which is to just babble on and on saying, oh, she went to read college, but she hated it because it was like a it was like a Grateful Dead concert. But, you know, like telling his entire life story to this I, to this psycho. And I, I do that, too. Like, I'm like, I'll seem really credible if I just talk more. Oh, if I just <laughs> if, if I just give more details, there's no there, there's no chance I could mess this up. Exactly. They'll they'll know I'm not a criminal because I'm so chatty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, also, here's here's a pro tip: never ask a uh, a state trooper uh, what seems to be the problem. <laughs> not, not not a good thing to do. That's not from this book. That's just from that's just from real life. <laughs> so, uh, but when he gets them to the police station, he decides, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to just plug. I'm going to plug Peter in the stomach a bunch of times with some bullets. Just pow 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 pow." Because he struggled. This is kind of a, a baller author move right here. Because, I mean, Peter has been our only point of view character. All of our experiences for the first 40 and 50 pages of the book are are through Peter's eyes. And then he's like, okay, I'm just going to ice this character that you've <laughs> been in the mind of for, for, for the whole book so far. Just, yep. There you go. Not only that, we're going to, you know, kick this person who felt like a secondary character in this into a situation like where she's the she's the newcomer she's the outsider because you know they they pass over this body of a dead little girl we're gonna find her family here in just a minute um but you know mary is the only one who's left uh, you know she's lost her peter and never had her paul um <laughs> which which uh collie is definitely you know he, he makes that joke he's he's funny about it um, but no, like, so we're immediately put into this chaotic scene with like five different characters we need to get acquainted with. And it just takes it from a whole, it just ramps the tension up because now anything can happen before you're like, you know, how, how are they going to get out of this, um, charge for possession with intent to sell and, oh no, no shit just got real. Yep. <laughs> One of them is dead and any, any of the others could die. Additionally, yeah. Peter Peter Jackson, you know the character who just who, who just got shot, could have served as like the Stephen King protagonist, kind of like regular regular guy, right? Oh, he's he's an English teacher. He's a little bit burnt out, a little bit skeptical, blah blah blah. You know, yeah. we we don't know that in twenty pages we're gonna meet an even better example of kind of the self insert here, but just to have that to have that moment where that that keystone is kind of yanked away does put you on edge. Right. So, so we had a Barry Sue before we got to our Gary Sue, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the older, wiser, uh, recovering addict version of that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, in the jail, there's this, there's the scuffle as everybody's saying, Hey, grab that shotgun, shoot him. Um, you know, before the, the police officer just kind of beats her and puts her in a cell. Um, and we're introduced to most of the rest of our cast. Um, we have the Carvers, and we also have the local vet um, slash town drunk kind of guy. 
whose name is Tom Billingsley. He's the guy who uh, watched this police officer, Kali and Trajan, um, massacre the whole town. One thing that's kind of nice about the book is there's all these um, just very 1996 references. Like somebody says that or there's a sign up that says that someone is a Snapple drinking son of a bitch. And I mean, how hot was Snapple in the 90s? And uh, Jolt Cola later in the book. And I think there's a line where um, like the, the kid David says or, or the, the dad says, Maybe it's, he's just a postal worker having a bad day. And I'm like, wow, that was a time and place where all, the, all those like postal shootings. <laughs> yeah. So, summer Sam kind of stuff. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. The, the, there is. So in retrospect, an embarrassing amount of ink spilled describing the function of a mobile phone, um, <laughs> the, a mobile phone speed dial, and also what happens when phones had a bad connection around the time. Yeah, like, I'm surprised that they're not carrying a little bag around, you know, <laughs> that's their cell phone. Yeah. But yeah, like, you know, the, the our, our writer character who we're going to meet shortly, he's got like a little uh, little star tack, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, n- n- not, a, not a star tack, uh, you know, like the like the bad guy of this, but, you know, the... the yeah, I, you know. I'm actually starting to get nervous. If you're going to start just throwing in tack, we're in a real situation. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, Kali and Trajan, the monster cop, he uh, just throws in, he, he just can't control uh, saying the word tack at the end of certain sentences, uh, putting people off guard. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the Carvers here, uh, because all of them feature in, except for the dad, like Ralph is a non, basically Ralph's story is he's bald, he's he's a little overweight, He's a he's a Columbus, Ohio guy, and then he dies. Yeah, <laughs> but he's played by Matt Frewer uh, in the in the TV movie version. Trashies. He seemed a little old to be his dad. A little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I wonder. I wonder if it's a it's a remarriage. Oh, de- definitely. He's he he, <laughs> he definitely. Uh, this is take two. He's a scratch and dent husband. <laughs> he's got an older daughter from his first marriage at Vassar right now. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, so he sends her what he can, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's got his new family. Yep. Um, and never the two Christmases shall meet. Um, <laughs> we have, we have Ellen, who is her, her kind of defining character trait is worried mom, uh, but also mom who is very kind of confused and a little <laughs> bit upset uh, that her son David uh, is uh, kind of found this newly religious streak, right? Yeah. Oh, also, I, um, I'm giving them a hard time. Their daughter just got killed by being pushed down a flight of stairs. That that that's fair. It is easy to overlook that because <laughs> again, you're so stunned that somebody's been shot. You're like, wait, now there's a dead girl. What uh-huh. is happening? <laughs> yeah, the like, nope. Here, here's a complaint about the novel. At no point does somebody dying seem to really affect the people who are close to them. Yeah. Yeah, like David gets a little bit of like, oh gosh, everybody's everybody's gone, and he definitely misses his little sister. Because I mean, spoiler: David ends up being the only person from his family to walk away. Um, yeah. But everybody else just kind of, eh, well, I guess they're dead. We just need to survive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. We just got to get through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but David is the Stephen King, um, let's say, character number zero one two, the uh, branded blessed little boy. 
and how. Yeah. Or as they, uh, as 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 uh, Intrajan calls him, that uh, that fucking little prayer boy. <laughs> or pray, uh, pray boy calls him pray boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and like we said, Tom Billingsley is this uh, veterinarian, kind of the, uh, the the historian of the group, telling them this stuff. Um, so they all end up getting locked up. Um, it's bad, and we cut to Stephen King stand-in number two, Johnny Marinville. <laughs> Johnny's great. Johnny, right from the beginning, can't stop telling you that he slept with a famous actress, and he's a National Book Award winner. <laughs> Like he just every other sense of his mouth, he's like, "Hi, I'm I'm Johnny." You know, I slept with a famous actress, and yeah. uh, and I'm dying to know who it is. He mentions emeralds. I mean, it, it can't be Elizabeth Taylor. I, I don't know who the actress is. If I'm supposed to know the actress, I, I, th- I think that in universe it's supposed to be his wife, the one who kind of torments him in visions. Oh, I don't think she because she's the book critic. I think he oh. he just mentions that he he banged a famous actress. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. I I I I, for, I forgot about that detail. I thought they were one and the same. I don't know. Uh, Johnny is very full of himself. Uh, probably has some reason to be. You know, he frequently says like, "Oh, I'm the in in his inner monologue." The, you know, he he very rarely says it to other people. But you know, like, "Oh, I I was called the heir the heir apparent to John Steinbeck." <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and 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 also revealing a little bit more about the time, saying like, oh, the just a uh, Harper's Magazine or whatever said I'm the only white male author worth paying attention to, or something like that. It was, it's real. So, if you are reading these and doing some armchair psychology on Stephen King, you could be tempted to say like, oh, this is super gross. This is who he thinks he is. Um, no, that's not the case. Because the only positive thing that is ever said or thought about Johnny is said or thought by Johnny. Yeah. (laughs) Because even though he has all this achievement, you know, he is this recovering addict. He's a burnout. He's kind of washed up. He's riding across the United States, gathering notes to put together for a series of essays, uh, (laughs) Some of them reprinted from his younger days called uh, like traveling with Harley or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's real dumb. <sighs> there, There's a line in there where, where Stephen King says that once you've been accepted as a bona fide literary lion, somebody will keep publishing your crap even after it's turned into parody or outright drivel. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Whoa! Hey, 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 Steve! Too real, man. Hey, hey Steve, what are you what, what are you saying about yourself, buddy? Yeah, like everybody's got that one friend who's so self-deprecating. I mean, we've all been that person at oh, some yeah. point in our youth or whatever, but that it makes everybody else a little uncomfortable. <laughs> like, like, like yeah. Steve, whoa, walk it, walk it back. You're yeah. you're pretty good it, it, for sure. Like self-deprecation. I'm, I'm, this isn't a, an original thought. I forget who I'm stealing this from, but like that only works when people don't think you believe it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but Johnny is not meant to be a sympathetic character until the very end of the book. Um, when you know he he has his, his epiphany and he you know comes comes to God quite literally. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, in recovery for addiction and he's running across America, uh, but he has a babysitter, uh, to help him do these, to help him do these speaking gigs, but also to keep him out of trouble. 
Uh, he was kind of following behind him by about 50 miles. Which is just the weirdest scenario ever. Like, I can't imagine the publisher being like, okay, you're going to write this book about driving across the desert, but we're going to have a guy follow you. I mean, it's just the fakest thing imaginable. <laughs> we're just going to have him scrape, you know, just, just in case we need somebody to scrape you off the ground. I mean, the guy's driving a U-Haul in case it rains and he needs to put the bike in the back. It's so it's so inauthentic. It's like those uh, those hunting retreats where it's just a quail inside a cage and like rich dudes yeah. pay to walk up and shoot it in the cage or something like that. Yeah, exactly. A, tw- a $20,000 buck tied to a tree. <laughs> yep. It's um everything about it is pretty funny uh, up to and including Johnny's yeah. own kind of like. You know, a self opinion, but also self loathing. He's also suffering some from some pretty nasty PTSD because he kind of cut his teeth by being a uh, by being a uh, correspondent in Vietnam, and that yeah. comes up uh, that comes up later on. But he's rocking a piss on the side of the road, uh, and Trajan, you know, stops and <laughs> issues him a warning for uh, public urination and parking on a state highway. Yeah, <laughs> but and- uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and su- surprise, surprise, as it progresses along, you're, you're not going to believe this, Cole, but it turns out that um, Johnny also has a bag of marijuana with the same smiley face sticker in the, the, the kit bag on his bike, huh? There, <laughs> there's <laughs> what a, a coincidence. There's a great line about that later on when they're, uh, when they're comparing their stories. It just yeah. Johnny can't help but laugh, you know, when everybody else is being real serious. Like, hey, he may be a monster, like he may be a literal monster, but at least he recycles. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you what, what did uh, you think of Kali's whole like, oh, I'm such a big fan routine? That was wild because, I mean, the, the guy has obviously actually read Johnny's books. Uh-huh. I, I mean, like to, to, of all the people to pull you over, uh, a crazy cop possessed by an unnatural force who happens to read your catalog of work <laughs> yep i mean so it has to be you know collie's <laughs> obviously possessed by something collie might have actually like literally have read this read this work and tack the being that is kind of possessing him has to be you know like pulling on that and then like hey this is the best way to fuck with him is is to flatter him yeah yeah when when he twists on him, though, I, I love how Johnny thinks of him in his head because he, he has this mental image of the cop burying him in the desert. Um, and <laughs> I think the actual line is, while in the shade of his cruiser lay the body of a man who had once won the National Book Award and fucked America's most famous actress. <laughs> Whoa. You think that's going to be the obituary, huh? That's not how I think of myself when I have like a, a mental picture of myself done. I like Autumn. She, man, she was on several episodes of Radio Free Midworld. That I mean, they, they were bangers. <laughs> like you know, like <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you, you, you would think the summing up would come to a different, uh, a, a, a different uh, product than that. Yeah. It's very, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when he, when when Kali finds the weed, he immediately flips and starts doing all kinds of you know scare tactics on him. Uh, at one point, he drops his trow and shows Johnny his blood leaking his blood leaking penis. Um, yeah. says like, "Hey, suck it." Um, and Johnny's like, "Well, um, I've seen worse, so whatever." Um, doesn't go through with it because you know that wasn't the point. The point was to make him beg for his life. 
Uh, instead, Entragian uh, breaks Johnny's nose and then summons a buzzard to attack him before throwing him in the uh, in the in, in the old cruiser. Nice. Yeah. There's a there's a cool cool little Dracula line in there when he's um kind of calling the animals like when he's like talking about his children at the desert. Um, the can the can toy. What music they make. Like, it's just, <laughs> I mean, just what beautiful music. Yeah. Um, there, there's a cool scene in the uh, in the um, TV movie where they're driving into town uh, and you get kind of the lay of the land. But also um, you see the entire road is lined with dogs and coyotes just kind of like sitting, sitting still like good boys watching them pass. Um, you know, like they're uh, standing guard at the side of the road. It's real otherworldly. I think this is probably like one of the few movies that's just full of like dogs and animals and everything where I'm just like, Oh, this is not good. I don't <laughs> like these. No, no. I, I mean, first off bad, bad on this elemental otherworldly force for uh, putting doggos in danger. So absolutely. Yeah. Even coyotes, you know, <laughs> you, it, I was fine with them killing an entire town of <laughs> miners, but don't mess with dogs, man. <laughs> One dog versus 199 miners. Hang, hang whatever human you want up on a hook, but um, that cougar was just trying to have a nice day. Yep. Well, that cougar is so sympathetic because you get his, uh, or you get her uh, uh, inner monologue, right? Like, oh, yeah. I need this leap to be perfect uh, because the because the person telling me to do this won't settle for anything less than perfection. I'm like, oh man, don't don't make a cougar all of a sudden start having like performance anxiety. That, like that that thing about uh, a monkey, but you get we gave it anxiety. <laughs> Ruined a perfectly good monkey. <laughs> like we had a good cougar. Now we gave it anxiety about its job, okay. <laughs> which is literally only to jump and roar. Yeah, like we've we've taken a, a beautiful like predator and said, "Hey, I need you to make a PowerPoint to present to your like our whole corporate office." Like, and you have one day. <laughs> Too much. I mean, first off, how is he going to? Uh... How's he going to tie that tie? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Maryville's able to fire off one short staticky phone call from the back of the uh, cruiser uh, to a spotter. You know, the person with the rider truck, um, Steve, Steve Ames, who in the book is kind of a Texas good old boy uh, in the TV movie is definitely played by uh, what's his name from wings. <laughs> I need to oh, yeah. uh, by Steven Weber. Yeah, Stephen Weber um, is well employed in the Stephen King universe because he was in The Shining as well, right? The remake. Yeah, yeah, he was also in uh, uh, Oh gosh, an adaptation of one of those uh, one of those Full Dark No Stars stories. Oh, he's making those King bucks. Yep, <laughs> which can only be spent on the set of Stephen King movies. <laughs> he's, he probably has a, he probably has a van with uh, the license plate that says um, Stephen King paid for this van. Hmm. Right. And there's, there's there's some kind of inappropriate, inappropriate irony in that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything with Stephen King and Vans. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking I was thinking of Aquid, but yeah, no, oh, you're right. Stephen King Stephen King was hit by a van. Oh, I totally missed the Aquid the Aquid ref. Yeah, <laughs> I was th I was thinking of Todd's van. <laughs> Wait, do you think Todd can read? Um, <laughs> 
Um, I need I need to actually dig that up and put that in the show notes because it's way too good not to. But the the best the, the cop is just getting grosser and grosser. Like at one point he he sneezes and sprays whatever all over the windshield, just bits of tissue and blood. But my my favorite is he says, "Gosh, there's nothing worse than a summer cold, is there?" Right after he does that, mm-hmm. but that's exactly what Joe Bob said at Hap Station in the stand. Oh, geez. <laughs> like, um, like right, right after he sneezes for the first time, he's like, "Ooh, nothing worse than a summer cold." Yeah. Yeah, you right. <laughs> which, which a is a thing people say, but b has very scary connotations in that context. This is just like a grab bag of um, Stephen King references, you know, like they yeah. had a um, intelligent computer compile his works mm. and. Oh, this is like a, well, just enough lines to creep me out. Like 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 a like a deep dream kind of a Markov chain that was fed <laughs> that was fed Stephen King's entire uh, bibliography. Yes. Yeah, so like that that whole thing though, where Kali just straight up sneezes out what seems to be parts of lung and also his sinus meat, and then just turns and laughs at him like, ha, 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 don't that just beat all? Um, nothing adds up about this guy. He doesn't react to anything appropriately. I, I do like, though, because um, we had touched on it when he was um, kind of ragging on Johnny. Um, but I think he says, you've never written a truly spiritual novel? Because at first he's like likes the books, but then he just starts trashing the guy's body of work. But yeah, <laughs> it's it's your great failing. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I could give you some constructive advice. Yeah. Hey, you mock the God who created you. You waste your sarks, bro. <laughs> And I'm going to take your Soma and I'll see you in Uma. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and this introduces us to, I think, our final two major characters. So one comes in later. Uh, but Steve the roadie, uh, played by Jimmy Wings, um, Stephen Weber. Um, and also uh, Cynthia. He's picked Cynthia up at the side of the road. And they're kind of immediately like, oh, they're they, they going to fuck. Um, they, they, they definitely are hitting it off. So, um, and it's cool. Like the sad thing is they don't really do an awful lot. They just kind of exist as another set of eyes to show a different part of the story or to be a set of hands whenever something, whenever somebody needs to be saved. Um, huh? I need a truck later in the book. How can I get the truck there? <laughs> well, let's keep the driver. It's fine. <laughs> well, I don't want him to be alone. I'll just get that lady from Rose Matter. What yeah, my other yeah. book. She's a transient. Yeah. Oh, man. So (laughs) they're on the case and they're going into desperation as well. Meanwhile, at the jail, Johnny introduces himself. uh, They all compare notes about their encounters. That's what they discover that Entragian's a recycler. But also like, hey, something's really wrong with him because not only is he obviously bleeding internally, you know, leaking blood out of his penis and also sneezing up bits of organ matter. But uh, his skin is rupturing, and he seems to be getting bigger. Like, he wasn't always as giant as he is. Yeah. And then this first part ends with Entragian coming back, leading Ellen, David's mom, away from the others, um, and leaving a Coyote to guard the cells. It's This is really scary. Uh, taking us to part two, Desperation. In these silences, something may arise. You know, one thing that's... I know Stephen King has talked about God more. I I don't recall him talking quite so much about the Christian God like he does in this book. 
I mean, obviously it was a big thing with Mother Abigail and everything, but this is, I don't know, it's like the, this is, this is like Stephen King's religious novel. Yeah, so like, this, the the stand is 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 really 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 religious. Uh, the Green Mile is explicitly so as well. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know. Yeah. I forget the character's name. Um. But uh, you know, acting as a, a very Jesus like figure, like King, very much leans into this idea of Judeo Christian kind of like the power of the supernatural in that dogma, even though he himself. I mean, it is if you read his writing about this, is not an especially religious person. And whenever he depicts God outside of the people who kind of speak for him, who follow some of the more like standard tropes, like, oh, this is um Father Callahan, you know, the 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 God that they're channeling or the God that they are interpreting is almost always something not more malevolent, but more complicated than like what you might have learned about in church, right? It ends up being this font for power that ends up exacting some kind of cost from you. Oh yes, yeah. And the, this one, um, more. Gosh, I, well, I guess I can't say more so than usual, but <laughs> whew, God is pretty cruel in this for sure. I mean, that's a that's a refrain. Like, yeah, God is cruel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that leads up to an amazing, like, I just, the only excerpt that I took from the book to read on the show um, is an amazing quote that is related to that, right? Just about the, the yeah. cost that is uh, kind of pulled from you. But yeah, David is in full on, like, profit mode at this point. He starts right off, like, in his, his little point of view chapter when we're getting to know his, his background, just talking to God. Yeah, you know. Like, not just talking about, like, getting crystal clear missives from him. Yeah, like he's got a little god radio and and that that little mind of his. Mhm. Yeah. So David wasn't always religious. His family is not especially religious. Um however, he kind of had this conversion when uh, apparently the power of prayer saved his best friend who was hit by a drunk driver. Nobody thought he could live, but you know, after kind of this close encounter of the god kind, um, he pulled this miraculous recovery. Um, and, and this is the part where the in the movie, the kid is thrown again by a trebuchet into a wall. <laughs> I, I don't mean to laugh. I mean, that, that that's a horrible thing. But who that, that that was that was some kind of special effect. Yeah, I, I've been fortunate enough to have never witnessed something like that. If it is indeed the case that somebody goes, you know, like a kid hit by a kid on his bike that was hit by a car would go flying at that kind of arc, then obviously that's horrifying. In the movie, my first reaction is that is a fucking Looney Tunes stunt. <laughs> <laughs> yep, somebody purchased the the Acme trebuchet, <laughs> set it up, put some bird seed in front of it. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, David seals this covenant with a, a little uh, kind of your excused note from school uh, up at uh, his old uh, secret hideaway, his version of the Barons, this kind of uh, treehouse called Viet Cong Lookout, uh, puts the note on a nail and seals the pact and then starts studying with uh, with this pastor. Um, who ends up, there's a little bit of stir and drawing about like, hey, is this guy on the up and up? But it doesn't really add up to much. Yeah, the, we just had a another another drinking priest, um, like we've seen in other books, like like oh, yeah. Salem's Lot. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and we're gonna see in uh, Wolves of the Cala. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 
so <laughs> David decides to make his great escape while Johnny is keeping the coyote busy with his leather jacket, which I guess to a coyote must just be wearable jerky. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know. I, I have no idea what leather actually is. It's skin, right? It 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 is. I, or maybe maybe the coyote just wanted to go out and look really metal in front of his friend. Oh, he wanted to impress the people down at the bus stop. Yeah, Shit. he wanted to know that he he's in he's in upper management amongst the the can toy. <laughs> you know who wore this jacket? A motherfucking book book prize winner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a national book award winner who yeah. once fucked the most famous actress in America's Sweetheart. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't realize that. So, National Book Award, not American Book Prize. Different, different things. <laughs> it's the Pepsi to the, 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 the Pepsi to Coke. Um, but David's big plan is to grab some soap and lather up. Uh, he strips down and um, rubs the soap all over him, getting nice and slippery, uh, and squeezes out of the bars. He shouldn't have been able to do this because of his head. But somehow this is magical soap uh, that has allowed his uh, allowed his bones to compress. It is the first of many uh, what Johnny calls unintrusive miracles. It's the first of many of those kind of miracles that David performs. Yeah, I guess that that jail just was not set up for arresting eleven year old boys, especially not slippery ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And for the rest of the book, he's he's covered with dried soap, which just makes me itch all over. Oh, absolutely! I mean, I know he's got bigger problems, but uh, dude, like <laughs> like pulling his little sister off of a hook. Yeah, I mean, um, um, among them, you know, he he gives yeah. his he gives his little sister a, a proper burial. You know, rolls rolls her up in a in, in a curtain, uh, kind of like uh, oh gosh, Fran did in the stand. There was a uh, there was one other line in this section. Um, I think it maybe was right before the cop left or or something. But um, he says, "You killed my sister, so don't ask stupid questions," which is just straight out of the Dark Tower. Oh yeah, <laughs> like if it's talk, talking about Blaine. Uh, I, I I will not play silly games, Kali. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, there's a kind of badass scene where David busts in and shoots the coyote, frees the other, uh, frees the others and ends up, uh, at God's command, taking a shotgun shell. Forget about Chekhov's gun. This is Chekhov's shell. <laughs> if, if, if a bullet is not fired in act two, then it will definitely go off in act four. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, so they arm themselves and at the behest of, uh, Billingsley, they say, Hey, let's go to this, uh, let's go to this abandoned theater. I know for sure that it's going to be a safe place to be. Johnny's real salty. Cause he got a gun that didn't have any bullets. <laughs> and so he says, you know what? I, I figure Billingsley, you're an alcoholic. Why don't I give you some whiskey? <laughs> Which seems real spiteful to me, actually. It, it really does. Like, I wouldn't, like, take the town drunk and be like, you know what I'm going to do in this life or death crisis situation is I'm going to slip this dude a flask. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Let's just loosen up a little bit. Um, <laughs> while they were in the prison, a freak sandstorm whipped up. Nobody uh, foresaw this. Uh, and this kind of, when I read it, drew to mind uh, the movie The Thing a little bit, uh, which is just in, in a lot of ways, a story about paranoia. And you get a little bit of that with, Oh, who is tack in now? 
but just the desert in the middle of this incredibly hostile weather pattern you know just just get the get the skin whipped off if you can't see anything you choke to death when the sand's out there um you know and he could literally be this you know monster cop could literally just be rolling around in his in his cruiser at any moment i think right after this is when steve and cynthia find the motorcycle they did get the the voicemail um the uh, the message or he did hear Johnny's um like little scraps of it that he was up past the RV you know got just enough to to figure it out mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> which leads them not just into desperation but to the most upsetting uh architectural piece of all the Quonset hut <laughs> There's nothing good in that hut, Cole. Uh, stay, uh, stay out of the hut. Oh, please. Um, I, I, I was trying to think up any kind of Pizza Hut slogan, but I could not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they stop by the Desperation Mining Company and find more bodies on hooks. Just, you know, hung up by their heads through their jaws and such. Like you do. You know. Just, it's, just it's keep a, tidy. It's efficient, you know. You just want to, you want to keep stuff off the floor. Uh, this is a little bit before the Roomba comes out, but he's just getting getting ready, you know, <laughs> just getting ready. You don't want to have those bodies down there for that little guy to get tripped up on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It'll it'll make that sad boo boo <laughs> noise, right? Yep. I'm 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 trapped under a torso. Help! Help! <laughs> it's yeah. exactly what happens with my bookcase all the time. Oh yeah, my my, my entertainment center. <laughs> no matter what I do, no matter what I do. <laughs> um and and that's cleaning tips with cole and autumn have a robot do it (laughs) (laughs) so um inside this hut you know obviously a massacre has happened here just like you know it has across the entire town like this guy and his animal friends has killed an entire town worth of people it should you know never let it go unremarked upon um, they also find this rough statue of a coyote that has kind of this glam or fascination to them, right? Uh, when they touch it, it gives them thoughts, specifically sexual thoughts related to some really, uh, let's say, experimental and violent kind of things. Yeah. And they know right away that this thing is bad news and we need to get as far away from it as possible. I, I thought that this part was really well written. I I, I, th- I thought this scene really worked. Um, it was pretty evocative. Yeah. Well, just like with with Steve, who obviously has feelings for Cynthia, like you can tell that it's really confusing because it's like, okay, how much of my attraction is from me because of you know the two of us getting along here, and how much of it is from this accursed rock? Yeah. I, I think the line that I liked in there was that it was as if sex and murder had somehow changed places in this horrible little town. Yeah. It's um unsettling. Um, so uh, they get a call um, to say, like, hey, come to the theater. They have a couple of, like, little misadventures we should, we should talk about. But, like, apparently Cynthia is afraid of anything with any number of legs. Uh, anywhere from zero to zero to eight, because not only is she terrified of the house they walk in that has all that, that, that snake bit family in it. Um, Mm -hmm. but when they, (laughs) when they're overrun by a literal wave of scorpions, she's like, Oh no, not (laughs) scorpions. Oh, not spiders. Oh, they're brown recluses. No. (laughs) 
There, um, there was one little moment in there um, where Steve was talking about how he had seen a lot of brown recluse spiders in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and he mentioned what he, it was in Arnett, Texas, which is where Stu Redman's from. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Arnett and uh, Hemingford home are like two of uh, two mainstays. Yeah. No. I mean, I was reading the, uh, I, w- I want to watch uh, 1922 because somebody recommended that to me. That takes place in Hemingford home. Does it really? Yeah. I I did not know that. That's been sitting on my my Netflix um, autumn's picks list, <laughs> and I haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, no, I need to. Uh, I mean, I need to clear some time to do it, but I want to definitely want to check that out because it uh, it looks it looks interesting. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> this chapter ends, or this part ends with a really vague chapter. I love the way that this is characterized because the entity that is walking around in Kali and Trajan's body is always referred to as Kali and Trajan, like up until the point where it becomes clear that it is Tack. But um, <laughs> it is very slowly revealed through a couple of different details that this is no longer the massive cop that we're talking about. This is David's mom. This is Ellen Carver, who has already started growing, who has already, you know, uh, kind of undergoing this intensification, right? She's, uh, she's getting swole. <laughs> yep. She's like six foot three, built like a linebacker. Yeah. Again, like she's 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 drinking that muscle milk. Oh, oh god, I hate the name of that stuff so much. It's so <laughs> gross. It sounds so gross. I don't know. Um, but she's wearing the sheriff's hat and the belt and she's got the gun. It's just Kali in a new body. She is she has jumped hosts and the uh the sole mission now is to kill Prey Boy. Which is so effective hearing that are that that mental train of thought through Ellen's mind. I mean, it's literally his own mother is now. I mean, just so hateful, and it's yeah, it's effective. His his his, his <laughs> own mother is now a machine designed to kill him. Yeah, <laughs> my dude is not catching a break. No, not at all. And there is nary a break to be. I mean, he probably has a couple. There are a lot of situations he gets out of that he should not have. Uh, gotten out of uh uh, beginning with that cell i think yeah Yeah. he's got the he's got those rubber bones oh yeah yeah i just said his soft spot never closed that's how he got out (laughs) (laughs) this takes us to part three the american west legendary shadows this is kind of the uh, this is the bottle episode of the book where they are all kind of trapped in a single location uh, turns out Billingsley knew about this theater because, well, that's just where him and his buddies go drinking. <laughs> what kind of grown up does that? I I don't know. I mean, I I have a home that I drink in. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I, I just would 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 imagine, like, as a veterinarian, he would. I mean, property values can't be that high in desperation. I mean, I'd imagine he would. You know, be able to own a nice single family home somewhere in the forty to sixty thousand dollar range, perhaps, like yeah. with a mortgage, you know, like uh I, I mean you could I think that this serves as like some kind of improvised Elks Club almost. If Elks gotcha. Club people didn't just like play ping pong and do charity work and instead just drank way too much and told old stories about the war. But it's such a teen thing. Like, he's even doing graffiti. He draws this beautiful Rococo fish, and everybody's really impressed by it. <laughs> yep. like, I love Johnny's line. Like, you, you Billingsley gets real defensive about it. Like, oh, I must have drawn that while I was drunk. Don't give me a 
don't give me shit. And Johnny says, yeah, you know, I've drawn plenty of fish myself. <laughs> Except with <laughs> words, because guess what? I won the American Book Prize and I fucked a model. <laughs> Like, again, it's, it's just such a teen thing for an older gentleman to do. Like, yeah, we break into this old abandoned movie theater. We booze it up and we draw with magic markers. Like, but, there, but there's a little bit of get off my lawn to that because they definitely they look down on the punk kids who take up the upper levels because they don't clean them up. They, they don't clean up after themselves. <laughs> teens. Ah, teens. <laughs> <laughs> Um, on their way to the theater, Steve and Cynthia meet uh, a geologist who serves as one of our first couple of exposition dumps. This is a real problem for me with this book, actually, is we're entering a, a stretch of this that is that is just a lot of like, and here's what happened. Yeah, th there's, there's very much a, a tell-don't-show. Like, there's one section, I think, that was probably like 40 pages of David just saying, hey, here's what happened. Like he just runs through. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, I mean, there are paragraph breaks, which I appreciated, but yeah. like, it's real. I mean, it depends on your opinion of Stephen King, but like it, it's either out of character or it goes against a lot of the advice that he gives when he tell, when he talks to people about how to write. Agree. Yeah. Uh, but the person they meet, they almost brain her. Her name's Audrey, a geologist who was working with the mining company, um, and she was hiding out in a laundromat, uh, and she decides to go with them. Spoiler, they should have brained her. Oh, they really, really should have. Um, they should have taken note, like, hey, <laughs> you're awfully tall, but they don't want to judge. You don't, you don't want to judge somebody on how, how tall they are. Like, whatever. Yeah. It's the 90s. She's, she's just a, like, like a beautiful, elegant supermodel, and supermodels came about in the 90s statuesque statuesque it's a compliment yeah. okay yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, 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 Stephen King does a good job of making her plausible I mean because there's just something I guess a little bit like you get frustrated with her because she's so hysterical I guess like you do get frustrated with her like she's kind of put in there to be I guess the voice of um reason versus faith type of thing like she's just there to object to everything that they're telling like no I'm, I'm a person of science this is not true this is impossible everything's impossible yes she is definitely uh the voice of a kind of poison rationality in the face in the, in the face of what's going on um and that could either be something that is from who she was when she was a person um or that could be uh you know tack understanding that there are bigger powers at play and we want them to not understand or not get to the bottom of like exactly the magnitude of what's happening right right and um it had been long enough since i read this that i had forgotten most of the major plot points so i was just getting really annoyed with her and i'm like it, it, <laughs> apparently at some point she even with the old veterinarian i'm like she has a horse so i should like her i like people that have horses <laughs> yeah. really into horses but i yeah. was like i still don't like her yeah. And she, you know, she, she's fleshed out. Like she's, you know, portrayed as this person with ambitions, like, like, Oh, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm here when I'm 30 by 40, I'm going to be in this national post. And by 50, I'm going to have my Nobel prize, you know? So like there, there, there should be, there should be more about her, but there's definitely a lot that is, uh, uh doesn't quite sit right. And for, <laughs> well, and for like good how reason. I, when she's talking about, I mean, if there's ever a book to put you off of the mining industry, I mean, not that something like the, have you ever heard of that? What What is it um, in Montana? The Berkeley pit? Um, 
it's this old mining, uh, this runoff lake from mining, and it, uh, from what they've done over the past hundred years, it has the same pH as lemon juice. Right, right. Is that and above? So, like, like, is that above Butte, and it's like poisoning the town below it, or something like that? That's exactly it. Like, if there's any runoff, it's going to kill the whole town or whatever. But like, birds will land on it, and all the birds will die. That, that that's pretty much desperation. <laughs> well, she's complaining about the about the greenies, about the protesters who are coming in. Like, oh gosh, we're killing the earth. Blah blah blah. Like, oh, so we killed a couple of eagles. Oh, by a couple, you know, the the, the vet fires in. Like, you mean like 40 or 50? <laughs> yeah. She's like, gosh, like rolling her eyes. Like, you know, we just wanted to spray a little bit of acid all over the ground. Ooh. <laughs> I'm like, you had to know what was wrong, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, th- th- there's, a, there's a little bit of a, you know, let's say a, a, a perspective or compassion problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who who knows? She is also the voice for uh, I'm Stephen King, and I have done an awful lot of research into what goes into mining, so I can so I can portray this correctly. Exactly. Or you know, I I sat next to a miner on an airplane the other day, and I learned a lot of facts. <laughs> yeah. Um. But she tells the story like, okay, why is that thing over there called the China Pit? Um, talking about how recent activity has kind of uncovered this old shaft. Which was opened up. This old was it drift? I think uh, that was opened up. Um, that was initially uh, dug by Chinese workers back in the 1800s, um, and Billingsley picks it up from there with kind of the local myth and legend version of it. They hired a bunch of Chinese workers because they could basically force them to do un- unsafe stuff. They dug so deep that they got trapped in a cave in, and nobody was interested in saving them. And there was a massacre when two other Chinese workers from a nearby camp came and murdered uh, a bunch of the folk in town as revenge. And that's kind of presented as the, oh, they didn't move the bodies justification for what must be going on here. Yeah. This is a, this is a, a rough section of the, the book. It d- doesn't make Nevada look great. Like, I mean, this is just like a, just a soup super gross racist like historical interlude and it's portrayed horribly in the movie like it's not good i don't know if you made it that far but like i def- just put this old timey this this old timey sepia like filter on it like it was an old movie and then they just tossed a lot of weird words up on <laughs> weird inappropriate words up on the screen i was like oh this is a miss guys yeah <laughs> even I- in 2003 this is a miss yeah, I didn't uh I didn't get to that part, but I did kind of jump around. Um I'm debating yeah. whether or not I want to watch the rest of it. I still have some time left on my rental, but I saw the part that was in sepia tone and it was like, "Oh, this is a bunch of it seems to be a bunch of stock footage." Oh, so this is like a lecture in a Metal Gear game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh not not too crazy, but like that's I mean, that's a that's a thing that happened. People definitely exploited the labor of Chinese immigrants uh, back in the yeah. time. Like, yeah, this is just a, a shitty thing. And it's a, it's a plausible story, right? You could see a whole yeah. town kind of just turning a blind eye toward, toward that kind of tragedy for bad reasons. Turns out that's not yeah. true. Um, yeah. But like it is, it is plausible as legend, right? Yep. Yeah. So they decide, Hey, fun story time. Uh, we're tired of Audrey yelling at us, so why don't we go take a piss break? We'll be back in like five, right? And so Billingsley yeah. goes off to pee, and that is where he is mauled by anxiety cougar. <laughs> 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 uh, who launches like the- herself through the window. 
Go ahead. Yeah, she she's just working on those TPS reports. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, I hope the Henderson report goes well. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Marinville's able to uh, you know shoot the cougar off, but not before too much damage is done, and Billingsley uh, bleeds out. So Tack is onto them, and but good. But but Billingsley does manage to get out one last little word to to help them out because he's been looking at her legs, um, Audrey's legs the entire time to the point where you're like, okay, my dude, walk it back a little bit. Like we get it. She's got a short skirt. She's got good looking legs. Whatever. Oh but, um, yeah. But uh, like with his dying breath, he's like legs <laughs> uh, to let them know that um, she's getting taller. Yeah, I didn't. Um... I didn't put that together, that that's what he was warning them about. I thought that the sign was that uh, was when she started strangling David. Uh, but that's yeah. that's right. There's a line that like, oh, that's a short skirt, but it wasn't it wasn't so short on her when she put it on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that is the hint to kind of pull focus to what's going on upstairs. David has gone to pray, found a clean spot on the tile. Um, and Audrey comes in while he's kind of in his trance and starts strangling him. Uh, Cynthia only notices this because she has taken this blow up doll that was up there and threw it over the balcony. <laughs> uh, and I mean, in a, t- a town of like three or 400 people, like, why do they even let this theater be like this? <laughs> they, I mean, there's a pretty cool line about that. Like, oh, they definitely would have torn it down if there was anything that would go in its place. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, like you just man, like, blah, blah, like why, why do you need? A, yeah, why do you need a flopville if there's like a flop house if there's like 250 people in your town? Yeah, like everybody needs a place to drink. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it, maybe it's a dry county. Uh, possibly, who knows? That's all. <laughs> I mean, with with Collie in charge, come on. <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, Steve and Cynthia managed to save David kind of at the last minute and you know, the, 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 the gig is up, you know, Audrey kind of sheds all of her canta. She has these little figurines with her and in doing so just starts falling apart, just disintegrating. She's been under the influence of tack. Like Steve goes to yank her off of, off of David and pulls her arm off like a chicken wing. Yeah. yeah. Just the, 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 the decomposition in place as a person is is is, is moving along is, is is again unsettling is the word of the day here but like that's a very effective kind of imagery um especially when we start realizing and getting more details about like what tack does to his hosts exacerbating existing medical problems right yes even even extremely small ones i think they they talk about how somebody had the beginnings of prostate cancer and that's where the the rot started once tack took place. And, um, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess Ellen, as she had a yeast infection and that's, um, who that gets graphic later in the book. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> did you, do we, do we want to call that a, uh, a crossover with the shining, that elevator full of blood that opens up? <laughs> it's, it, it's, I mean, I'm being crass, but it's real gross. <laughs> oh, it, it is. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely what what you picture with Ebola or something like that. It's not great. Man, just people are turning into soup. It's uh, it's 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 no good. Yeah, Ellen's <laughs> not having a 
not having a great day. No. I mean, she gets a win, though. She manages to uh, to trick Mary into walking over by the window so she can pull her out. And, I mean, the cougar thing went well. Oh, I mean, uh, the, the cougar play. I mean, bravo. <laughs> <laughs> this takes us to chapter or to part four, um, the China pit. This is God is cruel. Rounding up to the uh, to the climax of the book. Uh, Johnny's taken to calling the entire group the Kali and Trajan Survivor Society. <laughs> but there's only like five of them <laughs> left. So um, they, <laughs> they load up in Steve's truck and kind of David wakes up from his mini coma. Oh, um, just because he performs so so many like small miracles in this. What did you think of David's miracle of producing more packets of Ritz crackers and more cans of sardines for them? I can't believe I forgot to mention the loaves and fishes. Yeah, <laughs> yep. the, they 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 all sit down, and um, I I guess the 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 drunk veterinarian has squirreled away some Ritz crackers and sardines, and everybody's put off at first, but everybody's a little hungry, mm-hmm. you know, fighting evil, and when they start passing them around, and then all, like Johnny notices that the Ritz they're not going down in the package; they're still Ritz. <laughs> there should be fewer <laughs> cylinders of crackers than there are. Exactly. <laughs> he he went full love and fishes with Ritz and sardines. It, I actually like kind of loved it because I, I again I, I kept thinking for some reason this wasn't going to be a very religious book. Like I thought it would just be a a, a narrative device or something. But no, this is like a it's like a little treatise on on faith. Yeah, My, I mean it's like I, I, yeah. sh- shitty junk junk food mass produced loaves and fishes, but still the same idea. <laughs> yeah, and and then um, David spends the rest of the book being really preachy. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's one of the things that made yeah. me turn off the movie. Actually, was I didn't I didn't much care for David's actor, um, and also just yeah. those words coming out of a kid, like judging adults reacting rationally to a situation, is kind of annoying to me. Yeah, you know, I if I hadn't read the book and known what it was based on, I would think that it was like. Uh, a movie that had been produced like by a religious film company oh yeah like this would have been on the like the pax network or something like that yeah like kirk cameron like made this movie yeah yeah is kind of what it <laughs> seems like because like it, it's just kind of it's very flat and it's very literal um mm-hmm. i mean they're pretty much just reading the actual dialogue from the book and mm-hmm. it just came off very like when you used to call into that phone number and they would give you the bible story this is like oh, um yeah. scary veggie tales <laughs> the, mo- <laughs> the, the the movie nice yeah um so they load up into steve's truck david wakes up um and we get another kind of exposition dump when he was unconscious he had this vision of being back in uh back in columbus you know he's back at the Viet Cong lookout um and this man who looks kind of familiar is talking to him saying like hey um <laughs> i guess if there is if there is a hell or if there is a purgatory a Columbus suburb seems about right, which is a much deserved dunk on Columbus and its suburbs, by the way. <laughs> it is it is a nothing place. Uh, if you listen from there, I'm very sorry, but you live in a garbage city that is flat and sprawly. Um, wow. You know, as someone that's now been to Cincinnati twice, mm-hmm. um, you know. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I, I think I think I can say that Cincinnati's actually very lovely i loved it oh nice yeah i'm happy you enjoyed it i like yeah. my, i like my city an awful lot enough to enough oh, to it, pick meaningless it, fights with other cities in ohio oh it's really nice i can't imagine that columbus is anywhere near as cool uh, cincinnati has much charm 
Yeah, I, I, I will thank. I will say thank you in uh, instead of the city because the city cannot speak except with the with, yeah. with the music of its streets as the cars pass over it on our lovely yeah, I, I guess skyline. There's there's some kind of dope natural history museum too, right? Oh, over on uh, over on the west end, the 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 crazy like Art Deco kind of place. I don't know. There were a lot of fossils in the airport. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we got one of those. It's uh, a <laughs> it's the old Union Terminal that is uh, the Cincinnati Museum Center that has a natural history side of it. Uh, yeah. The uh, the the building itself, it's got, it's this cool Art Deco kind of thing. It was the model for the Justice League and the Justice League cartoons. How about that, man? Yeah. Cincinnati's really on the up and up ever since you guys closed up that mining pit that that um, <laughs> inhuman monster came out of. Ah, we're dealing with it. It's really. Re- you guys have really recovered after all those murders. Yeah. Can't can't build a streetcar, but we can destroy evil eldritch gods uh, that rest far <laughs> beneath the earth. Uh, and this has been the Cincinnati Minutes. Uh, but anyway, this guy kind of acts as the spirit guide. Uh, turns out that David's pastor is dead because he went swimming while drunk. Oops. Um. <sighs> But here's the true nature of the mine. Both Audrey and Billingsley accounts were wrong. Uh, the Chinese mount, uh, miners, they opened up this whole chamber that is full of these kanta, these powerful statues that influence people's behavior, possess them and such. Um, and they started going mad, you know, tearing each other apart, uh, trying to gather as many of them as they as they could. And they started running for the entrance. Uh, two of them had enough presence of mind to collapse the tunnel um, to trap them all in. And that was, you know, kind of the inciting incident with the China pit. And here recently, the Desperation Mining Company unearthed the China pit um, and also found this passage called the Inny, uh, which is funny because I, <laughs> I think of like an Inny belly button, almost like a navel kind of thing. It is this small <laughs> <Yeah>. passage uh, <laughs> beyond which a malevolent god named Tak lives. Tack cannot pass through the any. However, he can extend his influence uh, through it, possess people, um, and try and, you know, spread his reign that way. He possessed a mining foreman, and that kind of jumped from host to host, ultimately landing on Colleen Trajan, and then Ellen Carver, and it turns out that Mary Jackson is the next. Nice foresight on Tack's part. I mean, you know, you got to have, like, uh, somebody on deck, right? got to have spares you got to keep them you got you got to keep them in the corpse locker (laughs) (laughs) but that's you know good and with your most effective guards you got to put somebody in the corpse locker and have them guarded by scorpions spiders and snakes yeah the things people are afraid of you know except when they're protected by god (laughs) um and that's kind of a cool a cool detail because like mary wakes up in that place and you know, kind of deduces, figures out, okay, he needs me alive, so he cannot hurt me. Uh, so therefore, none of these animals would dare sting me or poison me or anything like that. And so she's able to escape. Like, like that's how she gets out. In a way, that's that's why they all survived, because Tack was kind of keeping a pantry of suitable hosts. Oh, I love, <laughs> just the term pantry really worked for for me it just um i mean you know it, it does remind me of a big giant spider that's just keeping something to eat yeah they even call that out uh like in it like some of the imagery with uh with the other spiders like oh that's uh you know they're saving it for later like it's still alive 
Yeah. <laughs> just a just just a little merry flavor saver, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, it's like uh Flanders calls his mustache the soup saver. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so um David at this point understands, like, hey, my mom is done for. We we need to find and save Mary. Um, because, you know, we we just kind of left that theater um A under duress, but also B without really accounting for where she's at um we get this terrifying sequence of mary running from ellen carver um Mm -hmm. and ellen carver's body just straight up falling apart and i know this is a frequent reference but it is very appropriate here falling apart like vincent d'onofrio's character in men in black (laughs) like It, it it is. I mean, she there's torrents of, of blood coming from her uh, from every orifice, and yeah. she's just like pushing it for that. Last, she's like, if I can just make it another twenty yards before this body literally explodes. They even talk about some of the noises the body was making on the inside as organs started to fail, and yeah. she's like, if I could just make it this last twenty feet <laughs> as, and grab Mary as things started dropping like in her body cavities. From you know the from the ties dissolving, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and and Ellen is the character who had the who had the yeast infection. Uh, and they describe her stuffing a T-shirt down the front of her pants to you know stop that from becoming an inconvenience as she started to fall apart down there. It's um, incredibly viscer- viscerally unpleasant. Uh, let's yeah, let, so this, <laughs> let's say this is probably not a book you're going to want to read to your kids at night. No, no, like maybe don't play the audiobook in the car on the way to you know, get school. <laughs> yeah, on the way to school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just roll it up like cranking the bass. Um <laughs> for the for the drop off. So um oh the audiobook is read by Stephen King, and that's always uh that's always fun. That that's the one form of media I didn't consume for this. Maybe I should listen to the audiobook now. It's the same as the book. <laughs> <laughs> they're remarkably similar is what you're saying i would say so yeah it's uh, (laughs) a like so for the purposes and you know i always remark on the audiobooks because that's definitely a way that a lot of people who listen to the show are consuming the books um but for the purposes of this it's always really interesting to hear the canonical um pronunciations of these different words you know cantoy cantac all of that um even the the language of the unformed like that has to come out of Stephen King because otherwise we just have guesses and we we would be arguing over what the actual pronunciation is. I was um, I'm actually really grateful for that. I've been very careful because I read it in my head as Cantois, mm-hmm. which I, I guess you know it's it's the French old god, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but so Cantois was very helpful. Yeah, it's, it's, instead of Tack, it's Jacques. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely. Uh, I definitely read it as Cantois as well um, back when I first read the books. Just, just Cuthbert. Um, it's got that little Cantois and. Um... <laughs> yep. Cuthbert. Oh man. Um, it's around. Okay. Oh, we should we should definitely resolve this uh, this encounter first because Ellen doesn't manage to cap- catch up with Mary. She's not able to catch her final host. Um, and instead she has to leap into the body of a golden eagle. I love this little nugget. Uh, it cannot jump into the lesser, into the lesser beings because like if it tried to go into say a coyote or a spider, the animal would just explode (laughs) (laughs) just because, you know, 
all of these hosts, they have this kind of just rapid, uh, it's a little bit like a, what is it? The extremis virus or whatever it is from Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, at least, at least if um, tech is going to jump into something, I mean, Eagle is pretty badass. It could have been like one of those buzzards from earlier or, True. you know, yeah. there, there, there was a line that I probably should have verified um, before I came on the show at the beginning. Um, and Trajan says that um, vultures can pass gas. Yes. It says uh, vultures are the only birds that fart. Is that true? Uh, we can find out if you vamp. I don't know why it's important to me to know. Um, <laughs> I, I cut out a bunch of Googling there. Uh, we have determined that uh, that that has to be an untrue thing. I just looked it up. Uh, like just I, I searched the word buzzards are the only birds that fart. And in the top five results is a Goodreads quote from Desperation. So I think that. <laughs> I think that our old buddy Stevie, uh, he uh, he sold us a, he sold us a line on that. Oh. <laughs> um, Tragic. But in things that are true, at least within the story, um, just like Tack takes the memories of whatever host he's in, um, Tack also has limitations. So, like when he jumps into the eagle, he lose he he starts losing his ability to think in human language, right? And he reverts solely to the, uh, you know, to the language of the unformed. So yeah, um, but he, but he, but he looks badass. So there is still that. <laughs> but but he what? But he looks badass. So this is true. I mean, <laughs> again, as birds go, eagles very glamorous, no, especially uh, golden eagles. Those are oh, handsome, yeah. handsome birds. Yeah. <laughs> So it's around this time that we reach the point of the hero's journey where the hero uh, rejects the quest. Marinville um, has decided, hey, we're out of the theater. Tack is um, distracted. Like, why would it be up to us to deal with this? We can go. We can talk to the authorities. We can get somebody else to help us do this. Nobody else wants that. David says, you know, like the mission from God is to go and seal this up ourselves. But also, like, there's free will. None of us can stop you from doing this. None of, can for- none of us can force you into this dangerous thing. So they let him go away. Uh, <laughs> however, he drops his wallet. David picks it up, rifles through the photos, and sees, says, oh, this picture of Johnny from the Vietnam War. Turns out that's the person that I saw in my in my vision. That's the person who correctly assessed Columbus as uh, a, a nowhere place. Which is just wild. I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, I I get where it's supposed to be clever because this was all set up so early. Um, you know the the Viet Cong lookout, th- things like that. Um, it it just is weird that a god who speaks directly would also be like, I'm gonna get a younger version of this Marinville dude who I don't know if you know won the National Book Award and had sex with a wonderful actress. Uh, but like, it's just, it's just an, I liked this, but I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Like it just seemed a little bit pat somehow. The end result of an actualized Johnny who decides to take responsibility um, for himself and try and make a positive impact on the world is a good and worthwhile thing. The idea yeah. that you saw young Johnny in the land of the dead because that's when Johnny stopped growing. And that's, you know, that that was when his kind of like 
just slow suicide of the soul started happening. Like, it seems very strange and very muddy to mix in literal death, such as, oh, your pastor went swimming drunk and died, with a very figurative kind of demise, such as Johnny kind of losing his way. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. So I'm not like a huge fan of this kind of twist or turn. Um, I also don't. That this shouldn't be very persuasive evidence for Johnny. <laughs> like, oh, it turns out that it turns out you were the person that I saw. Isn't that neat? Like, if I was in his position, I'd say, oh, you're just saying that to get me to come back and help you, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, that's extremely convenient, isn't it? Wow. How about yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, turns out you have somebody omni omniscient whispering in your ear. You totally could understand that. Like I used to hang out a hang out at a place called the VA Colin Lookout. Like yeah, and by the way, God also said that if you want to start putting some money in a college savings fund for me because my parents have passed away, you know, <laughs> he just thought that'd be a really good idea. Yeah, I'm like 11 years old and you have all of the money, so <laughs> yeah. just just thinking maybe you can help us out. So, <laughs> um. This, however, within the within the bounds of the narrative is enough to bring Johnny back to get him on board and to also say, like, yes, this is the Johnny Maryville I can be. You know, I wasn't a hero in Vietnam. I just watched. I just, you know, kind of built a career off the back of what I saw. However, here I am able to, you know, make something of myself above and beyond sleeping with that actress and also winning the, you know, the National Book Award. So they reunite at the mine. Uh, off the side of the China pit. There's no dynamite. However, there is a bunch of accelerant. There's a bunch of info. And the plan is to blow up this pit and seal it up. However, when they try and approach, guess who come, Guess who's <laughs> flying along? We got Tack in the body of the Golden Eagle saying, oh, you know what? I forgot. I totally just kind of spaced. David, your dad is still alive. He hasn't done an awful lot in this story. Uh, but we're just going to uh, just give him some talent, talent, talent. All right. Eat, eat out his throat. And boom, he's dead. Why not? <laughs> just just one last. Hey, killed your dad. <laughs> <laughs> Pray boy. And, and David is like, really? Are you <laughs> shitting me? I mean, like, at this point, it's just petty. <laughs> yeah. Like, God, I get it. I'm trying to be a good dude here. But you just took my sister, my mom, and my dad. Yeah. Why'd you have to take my dad? Yeah. Well, God didn't listen when Job complained either. I mean, and, they, they, I mean, they cite that in this. I'm not just, I'm not just bringing that up out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, um, I, I, I do, I do like how involved God is, though. Like, I mean, a, a little bit earlier, when right before David convinced him to come back, like God helped him make that great shot with a hammer to kill a wolf there was a wolf that was attacking johnny and yeah. you know he he hurls this hammer and he, he feels like he's thrown it wrong but mm -hmm. then it nails the wolf right between the eyes um i mean it's a really helpful god i think he's just gonna take david's dad like this yeah he's, he's a real helpful but he's a real expensive god like if i <laughs> yeah. could get you know if, if 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 i could get just like the discount line can i can, can i get the great value version of god Right, yeah, I don't have like, to give up everybody who matters to me. Thank you. Like it's like one miracle, one body. You know, like Kinda. I'll let you out when you when you grease up with the soap, 
but <laughs> then I'm going to take your mom away and she's going to die. And then yeah. loaves and fishes. Oh, sorry. Had to kill the veterinarian. <laughs> like, Yeah. Oh, man. It's it's depressing. However, um, the eagle does die. And that means that Tack is now as trapped as he's ever been, at least since mm-hmm. this recent outbreak began. You know, he's back down in the any, meaning, hey, we can actually, we, we have a chance now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and throughout this kind of back half of the book, David has been saying, God is cruel, right? Like all of this terrible cost that I've incurred, that all of us have incurred, you know, are just because God either doesn't care about uh, or doesn't understand exactly what we are going through. Can't see into our mind, right? Marinville, yep. uh, upon this, kind of realizes that David's not hearing God anymore, <laughs> but he is. Johnny is. Um, and he knows that David is meant for something else, that <laughs> this act itself will incur a cost and it can't be David. Marinville has to sacrifice himself. Um, and so he, <laughs> David makes him strip to... To, to 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 ensure that he is not under the influence of any canta, right? So first off, good good vigilance there. You finally learn. Um yeah. and when when Johnny says, like, hey, you're not gonna be the one who martyrs himself for this, um, he has this amazing line that I that I really like. Uh Johnny says, you know, you said God is cruel the way that a person who's lived his whole life on Tahiti might say snow is cold. You knew, but you didn't understand. Do you know how cruel your God can be, David? How fantastically cruel? Sometimes he makes us live. Which means that, like, yeah, like, this, that there's going to be more. Like, it's going to cost me my life to end this. But also, like, your suffering is going to continue. Like, isn't that the shit of it? This is the way that it has to go. <laughs> this is the way that it has to go down. But it's my time and not yours. Because he really had to trick David to to do what he does. I mean, he he really deceived David. Yeah. Well, he enlisted he enlisted Steve to hold him back. Yeah. Yeah. So he wouldn't go charging into the pit himself. So which which prior to this he probably just did that when he wanted to look tough. Like, hey, I'm going to pretend to fight this guy. Hold me back. <laughs> oh man, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Oh, don't let me kill him. If my friend here wasn't holding me back, I would whip your ass right now. It's a real schoolyard kind of thing. Yeah, with my National Book Award, which I did win. <laughs> yep. I'm going to brain you with my with my Newberry, which is a different thing. It's a kid's book thing. <laughs> it's a sticker. Uh, <laughs> so, um, the others drive away as Johnny um, doesn't just descend into the pit with the uh, the accelerant. But just kind of jumps into it. Yeah. The description of him just like Homer Simpson down the Springfield Gorge, having his skin torn from his bones by the crystal outcroppings of this funnel um, is harrowing as what it is. He's only saved because he has a helmet on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We also have Tack uh, literally reaching out from the any with his kind of smoky murky tentacles to try and uh invade um invade marinville uh make him a new host he was safe because he had a face guard yeah he had his helmet on he hated that thing because it was real bulky but guess what loud pipes save lives bumped up right against it (laughs) (laughs) but just yeah he he, uh he he, (laughs) 
<laughs> he covered up his uh his his snoot and his smoocher and uh he's he's good to go. Um I do love the idea that like Tack gets you by you literally breathing him in. Um yeah. it I mean it describes the transfer process earlier as like uh you know, first uh first Collie and then and then Ellen like locking lips over a person's uh mouth and nose and breathing into them, like exhaling the uh the essence of tack. Um and tack tries to to reason with them, to make some promises to him. He I, I don't know, I liked the descriptions of how I think I think the line was that the the cantos were calling to him, pulling him as the moon pulls its salt water. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean it's 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 definitely definitely some temptation down there. Yeah. And he says, like, hey, I can make you not hurt anymore. I can make you the most powerful person on earth. Um <laughs> When when that doesn't work, when Johnny either is not tempted or doesn't believe it, he can say, well, I can refrain from hurting the people you care about. That doesn't work. Um, it's very similar uh, to the end of it, actually, when Pennywise or the force that, you know, embodies <laughs> or the force that Pennywise embodies when it realizes that it's finally in danger, starts begging for its life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... <laughs> Here comes that shotgun shell <laughs> because, you know, God, God said, hey, we need to carry the shotgun shell from the from the beginning of the story to the end of the story. There's no dynamite. There's no blasting cap. However, we can use the hammer, hit the end of the shell to ignite the accelerant, to ignite the info and collapse the, uh, you know, the China shaft, uh, the China pit rather, and seal the any and tack away. I, I think that Stephen King did put his dream last words into Johnny's mouth because when when Johnny goes to strike that um, that shotgun shell, he just screams, "God forgive me! I hate critics." <laughs> oh, that's because Taxter's like ripping into him, saying, "Oh, you never did anything with your life or something like that, right?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's just. That must be have been really satisfying for Stephen King to be right because Tech is like trashing his writing and everything uh-huh. and like saying that he's Bane. Like, like I hate critics. Yep. Bam. Well, now you done fucked up. Did <laughs> <laughs> you want to be sealed away forever? Because that's how you get sealed away forever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, you want to you want to dance, buddy? <laughs> and so and- that 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 is the end of Johnny. Oh, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna say, and the, the, I liked the language too about um, the the brilliant, soundless red, like swooning into a rose. Like King must have enjoyed writing that with the rose light. Oh yeah, <laughs> and saying like, oh, there was the, the, the there was a sound, there was a light, there was redness, there was the bloom, and then it stopped. There was nothing. Actually, it, this must have been a fun book for him to write in general. He got to kill everybody. Uh-huh. The writer got redeemed. <laughs> Yep. No, like you, you can kind of tell in a lot of ways that he had fun with it. I mean, especially, I mean, Kali is one of those really fun villains to write, you know, just because you can just be like, oh, what would be the most fucked up thing to do in this situation? Well, he just, he does it. He's like the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so reaching part five, which is really just an epilogue, uh, Highway 50 excused early. Um, the others have gotten to Mary's car and are starting it up. And it's just finally sinking in for Mary. They're like, hey, her husband is dead. Uh, you know, she desperately misses him. She can, like, smell him in the car. It's just real. It's just a stone bummer is what it is. 
what do you think the conversation is going to be like when she she gets back in town and has to call Peter's sister with the bag of drugs? <laughs> Say, hey, here's your car. Um, I don't hey. even have like, yeah. So funny, do you, do you, funny do you story. Have a <laughs> so you remember how you had a brother? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did, did, had a brother? Uh, yeah. 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 So, and you're gonna think I'm crazy. So yeah. It, oh man, so 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 pissy, man. That's a. I would be so angry. Um, I had a question question for you. Um, now that they're they're about to leave, they're about to roll out of town. What do you think? I mean, obviously, just being an agent of chaos. But what do you think tax end game was? I mean, tech killed everybody in that town. I mean, would would the goal to be to get out of the town, like to possess a couple people and just get out like or, or is it just um to just sit in one spot and be real evil i don't know so i think that part of tax whole thing is that he is he is beyond our understanding of what of you know of of what a goal would be mm-hmm. you know but so that's the that, that's the usual play with like in like a lovecraft eldritch monstrosity kind of kind of thing right however mm-hmm. the rules for him are incredibly clear that he has to have a host to jump to or else he gets transmitted back and he's trapped away forever hoping that somebody else stumbles upon him right Mm -hmm. the smarter play if he was not entirely kind of dominated by this desire to embody evil in every single way evil as defined by like oh i just don't care about human life you know Mm -hmm. um if he wasn't compelled to do that the smarter way would just to be like to be more subtle about it to find a way to get the populace to work for you just like the animals worked for you and spread your influence that way right as opposed to just literally salting the earth of any possible host for you to jump to yeah i just don't understand why you'd be like okay i have to have a host to get out and do my business so I'm going to kill my two, 299 of my available, like, 304 hosts. Right. Like. Yeah. So <laughs> the other uh, Lovecraftian, you know, horror author style thing would be like, oh, he's an idiot god. Like, he's incredibly powerful, um, but he is, you know, like the scorpion, unable to stop, <laughs> unable to stop himself from stinging the frog, even though the frog is the only thing keeping, af- keeping him afloat in the river. Right. Oh gosh, that that this is the kind of garbage god that I would be. Like, I just <laughs> would be terrible at oh, it like yeah. that, you know. Like, <laughs> I'd be like, I have this great plan, and then I'd be like, oh no, bested by a hero again. Come on, <laughs> Jesus, trapped again. I cannot die, but I am just sealed into the void with all these other dipshit gods out here in Todash space. Come on. <laughs> exactly. I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you, pesky kids, aided by God Himself. <laughs> Yeah, God who may or may not be Gam in this situation uh, on the side <laughs> yes. of the white. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, if we put him in the league with the other with the other kind of Todash monsters, you know, like even the greater ones, you know, like like Pennywise, like Rose Matter, or like some other people who I don't want to talk about because they're cool little uh, twists and what have you. Um, none of them are especially. I think I think Pennywise is the most competent one, but like none of them are especially good at anything beyond the most base self-preservation, right? Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. I think that ultimately it wasn't supposed to add up to much. Yeah. I, I do love how at the end the, the kid is, David is in charge of everything. <laughs> like, David's like, this is the story we're going to tell to the police. Mary's like, okay, I think the important thing is that we all tell the same story, just like David said. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's my God. This, let's trust this 11-year-old. Uh, he, exactly. <laughs> most of his story involves us giving him all of our Yu-Gi-Oh cards for some reason. <laughs> um, but, you know, who am I to go against God? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Off in the distance, they can see uh, the dust from the collapsed mine turning into uh, kind of the shape of a coyote's head roaring at them. Um, which, it, which kind of freaks them out because they think maybe we didn't get them. But then I guess the the dust plume starts to rot and fall apart. Yeah, yeah. It's the uh, the, the final dying yowl, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to kind of show that the covenant is complete, that the pact is sealed, uh, David, when he is searching through his pocket, he finds the initial hall pass that he, you know, stuck on the stuck on the nail and the Viet Cong lookout back in uh, Columbus, Ohio, that nothing space from which nothing will escape. Um, and looks at it and says like, oh, Johnny shouldn't have had anything like I basically strip searched him. Um, however, this is on my person in place of the shotgun shell, um, you know, with a with a note referencing an inside joke that uh, that David had with his friend Ben. And also citing a uh, a Bible verse, you know, one John for first John uh, four eight and pull the trump there Corinthians two, um, <laughs> um, first John four eight. Remember, God is love. Um, kind of calling the whole thesis of the book into question, like you know, God is cruel or whatever. They ask David, like, is you know, is that true? You know, do you think that is? You're like, hey, I don't, I don't know. And it ends with him praying in the backseat as they drive away. It It is kind of a nice freebie. I mean, this certainly isn't a happy ending per se. I mean, it, 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 there, it is, I guess, a happy ending, but it, it did work out well that Mary, like her husband's dead and they don't have any kids and David's whole family is dead and they both ended up alive. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's nice for David that he's got somewhere to, to crash with like the one person who would get it. Yes. You know? Yeah, the the one person who is also suffering a very specific kind of PTSD. Yeah, like it'd be very tough to explain that to to anybody. Like, of course, they don't understand about your parents, but you couldn't tell them anything about, you know, like. No. Okay, wink, wink. God talks to you. Your psychoanalyst would be saying, you, you know, sure. like as he wrote you a prescription. And this God that you hear, um, yeah. So that's that's desperation, um. I'd call it a pretty solid B minus. I I think that's fair. Like like I think like I said at the the beginning, I I really really enjoyed the book. I don't know that I would recommend the book to anyone necessarily. You really have to unfocus your eyes for it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think as a um, treatise on faith, it it rings kind of hollow. I mean, I. I, I I don't know. There's some some wonderful books out there, like The Sparrow by Mary Jaria Russell, which is one of my favorite books, mm -hmm. an examination of faith. Uh, but th this one is just kind of like, oh, cool. God's cruel. He kind of <laughs> uh, helps some people and then asks for some sacrifices. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, guy, <laughs> like, I mean, it just didn't feel very it didn't feel like Stephen King believed it or like there was any point to it. Like it was just God as a narrative device. Yeah. Uh, God is cruel, but is also very useful in incredibly specific situations. 
Right. Yeah. As opposed to being any kind of like deeper meditation. And it's, it's frustrating, right? Because he's done, he's done a better job at that in the past for sure. I mean, like even with the stand, you know, that is, you know, Lord of the Rings set in America, except instead of the host of angels and wizards and stuff like that, it is like this kind of Judeo-Christian battle between good and evil, but something more, you know, Lovecraftian on the evil side, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that is a, a much longer book that has time to kind of focus on some of those meditations and set up the greater conflict. This is, you know, scene to scene to scene to scene, moment to moment to moment to moment. It barely has time to catch its breath. And when it does, it does it all at once with these exposition dumps that kind of like set up immediately like, oh, here's what the stakes are. Here's the transaction that took place. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is like, would it have been more successful if they just kind of made it some kind of weird, (laughs) what's that? Uh, ju- if they had made it a voice and not the Judeo-Christian God, I think if that's what's where it suffered. If David just heard a voice, uh-huh. like even if it was, um, well, kind of like in The Shining, where Danny hears the voice of himself from the future or something like that, like yeah. I think that that would almost be a little bit more. I, I anybody who's familiar with the Judeo-Christian God brings their own set of preconceived notions and things about it, so right, it's right. It, it's hard to to live up what making it that God <laughs> means, you know. Right. Yeah, it's just like you're using a really commonplace thing in a way that has a ton of baggage and is going to come up short or, you know, even worse than that, come up like way too convenient as a narrative device. It It is a really good ad for Jolt Cola, though. Oh, absolutely. Like, so just uh, <laughs> if you if you want to have sex with a model or sorry, with, with a famous actress and also win an American book. <laughs> book award <laughs> then please drink jolt also it will keep you off the sauce i mean they were just slamming jolts at the end of the book like every five minutes somebody was like time to drink another jolt and, and i say this as a as as somebody who at that time was a surge man um i don't see the appeal i mean it's <laughs> I, sugar, love, sugar. I love the term surge man it just <laughs> it's like a like a don draper like old-fashioned i'm a surge man like, <laughs> Oh man, good villain though. Kali and Trajan is great. That first third where he's re- where he's still a factor. Um, oh yeah, amazing, he's hilarious. He's I just I he's mean, like he's terrifying, but I mean he's he makes some good jokes. Uh-huh. So <laughs> if there's anything to take away from it is uh, is is that Kali and Trajan is a boss. Yeah, and that hopefully um, Cynthia from Rose Matter and Desperation lives a long, full, happy life after this. <sighs> she she touched the cantar though. And and so did Steve. Like they talk about all those people who touch it in the mines going crazy. Like it caught up with them eventually. Like I'm terribly worried for the both of them. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, um, that's a good point. I, I I am actually very. Cu- I need to like look up a wiki or something and see if she appears some, uh, appears somewhere else because like she's a good character. Like she's yeah, very she's, likable. She's scrappy and yeah, absolutely. Been through a lot. <sighs> yeah. So, thank you, Autumn. For going oh. through this and uh, reading the book again um, and talking about it, absolutely a, a, a pleasure as always. This this was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to to talking about some some books later down the road. Oh yeah. So, um, where can people find you on the internet? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Mrs. Greer. That's M I S S U S Greer. Um, yeah. Uh, you can also uh, find me on Twitter at Cole Ross, K-O-L-E-R-O-S-S. Um, and I stream horror games on the weekends at twitch.tv slash duckfeedtv. Um, otherwise, for this show, we are coming up on a new season uh, where we're talking about uh, both the Wind Through the Keyhole and the uh, the Dark Tower comics. If you're going to buy any of those in whatever format, consider going to duckfeed.tv slash tipjar. Uh, you pay the same amount of money that you otherwise would, and the network gets a small cut of, uh, you know, the proceeds of whatever you buy. Um, it's a way to help out the network without, you know, spending any extra money other than you otherwise would. Uh, but otherwise, uh, tune in next time. We're going to start talking about um, not the first two of the Dark Tower comics, but uh, The Long Road Home and Treachery, I believe, are the first two that we're going to talk about. Then we're going to settle into the wind through the keyhole, which I'm very excited about. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, I think that's just about everything. We'll see you next time. And until then, long days and pleasant nights. Bye.